1: Welcome to the Fabulously Keto Podcast. This is episode 57. And today we are interviewing, I'm a little bit proud to say, a fellow Australian, Megan Pfeffer. Megan's specialty is in lipidema. Now, that's not lymphedema. It is a condition of the lipid and inflammation of the lipid. So, lipidema. Jackie, did you know about lipidema? Yes, actually I
0: did because... um We've heard quite a few episodes on the Keto Woman podcast. Um, uh, Daisy's interviewed lots of different people. So I, ha- I didn't know about it before then, but it's been a year or so now that I know about it. Yeah,
1: So it was really good being able to, obviously, again, across three time zones to be able to coordinate to speak with, with Megan. And it was really great, I think, for the listeners to be able to hear and educate, enlighten and bring to the bring to light the condition of lipoedema, which is completely obviously under by medical and health professionals.
0: Mm, I think I saw a lady recently who looked like she might have lipoedema, but it wasn't somebody that I knew, so I didn't say anything, but it's quite possible and she probably doesn't know about it.
1: Which is really sad in terms of obviously living with and managing this particular condition. So I'm sure that the listeners will get to hear more about what is and how do and why is lipoedema this particular condition and what and how the therapeutic use of carbohydrate restriction can help. But in the meantime, just before we do that, Jackie, please tell us a bit more about Megan.
0: So I noticed that Louise says Megan and here in the UK we say Megan. So I'll go with Megan. Megan Pfeffer is a clinical nutritionist and the founder of iChoose Health, providing international education and support via online webinars, workshops, one-on-one consults and group online courses. Megan also researches and presents at international conferences to raise awareness of the loose connective tissue disease, lipoedema, and also for breast cancer. Megan co-authored the 2020 research paper titled ketogenic diet as a potential solution for lipidema published in the peer-reviewed medical journal Medical Hypothesis. In 2019, Megan discovered that she had lipidema while researching the condition for one of her patients. In 2020, she was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer and underwent a life-saving bilateral mastectomy and now is cancer-free. Megan lives a keto lifestyle to manage her health and loves helping women around the world take back control of their health.
1: Welcome, Megan, to the Fabulously Keto Podcast. It's
2: fabulous to have you here today. I Louise and Jackie. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you both.
1: And listeners, you'll recognise that Megan is another fellow Australian. So it's wonderful to have a compatriot with me
2: today. I'm feeling, feeling the love all the way from Australia. I feel the same and although we are all scattered across the globe <laughs> and I normally have summer envy at this time of the year but as you can see I'm, I'm dressed so well, the listeners can't, uh, can't see but I'm, I'm uh, dressed in, the, in, a, in a tank top because it is just so warm here at the moment so uh, it's beautiful but yeah we are certainly from a, an international <laughs> group today.
1: That is good. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, um, so where are you in Australia?
2: So I'm based in Victoria, in East Gippsland, actually. We're on the Gippsland lakes in, in Victoria. And, uh, yeah, we've been here for about eight years. So we're very lucky. We're, we live on about six acres. Uh, we're on a, um, we're off the grid as well. So it's a beautiful spot in the world, particularly while we're going through lockdowns and things at the moment.
1: Oh, I did see um, you know for the for the listeners at home, um, yeah, it is obviously another announcement today in Victoria is another week, another week's lockdown but um, it is an evolving situation and I do hope that the um, the current obviously restrictions will be lifted soon and obviously you know this is the sixth lockdown for poor Victorians you know it's just obviously um, another another evolving situation that's happening for you. But it's really lovely that you're self-sustained and you have that lovely space around you
2: to to fill in your bubble. It sure is. It's absolutely magnificent here. We've been so lucky this winter. Uh, Whereabouts are you from, Louise?
1: I'm um, from Adelaide. So for the listeners, that's actually around about eight hours by car or, you know, one hour from um, from Melbourne, you know, the capital of Victoria. So sort of same, same but different. So we, mm. we like to say our, our neighbourly cousins. So lots of friendly rivalry, yes. particularly around football and sport. <laughs> yes.
2: That's good.
1: So, Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your story, um, particularly, yes, you're sort of saying that um, with your international reputation, but, you know, on the, on the national, on the Australian sort of um, you know, landscape, you're sort of becoming more well-known, but for the
2: listeners at home, your story. Yes, yeah, sure. So I've been, uh, I have a, a health science degree in nutritional and dietetic medicine. So I'm a, a clinical nutritionist. Uh, I have my my own business. I choose health. I specialize in ketogenic diets for um, particularly for women and particularly for women with lipidema, uh, which is a, a fat disorder, which we'll talk more about in a moment. Uh, so when I had, um, uh, I started doing my health science degree as, um a career change. So when I uh you know, finishing up my late thirties, I was in banking and finance for most of my life and it was pretty stressful. The the love had gone. <laughs> I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I've always loved food and loved cooking. So I um I started in the hospitality industry while I worked out what it was that I wanted to do and I decided to do a, a nutrition degree. So I um studied that and whilst of course when you when you're doing that and learning the um the, uh, you know learning the um the, the food guidelines and and uh and the traditional way of presenting nutrition i was also um learning about low carb and keto and loving the science on that loving the people that were following um, gary and belinda Fetke were huge influences um with me then and also um dietitian jennifer Alias. And those trailblazers in in Australia, and also you know people like the keto dudes and and that sort of stuff. Li- listening to a whole range of, of people, um, and so when I finished my health science degree and started practicing and specialising, of course in, in low carbon keto straight away because that's just what made made sense to me. Um, I should backtrack just a just a moment because when I was finishing my health science degree, I was you know really um, stressed out and getting pretty unhealthy. Ironically doing a health science degree and, uh, and putting on a, a lot of weight. And so this is in my early forties. And, um, so still eating reasonably well, but times of what I've now since realized that I do, um, tend to carbohydrate binge and, uh, and put on a lot of weight. My body is definitely carbohydrate intolerant. So, uh, I was to finish off my health science degree. I stayed with my mum down in Melbourne for the last semester while I was in clinic. And, uh, said to mum, look, I've, I've got to get my weight under control, my health under control. You know, I'm about to, to launch my health business. Um, I need to start walking the talk and, and get my own health under control. And my mum was actually pre-diabetic at the time. And, uh, and she had some, some weight to lose as well. And, and she'd been doing a low carb diet. But of course, um, the people who tend to binge on carbohydrates was overdoing the sweet potato and all of the, the carb components that you can have on that. So was still finding that it wasn't really working as effectively for her and i said to mum look i think you know keto have been doing a lot of research i think this is something that we should try so we started doing the keto diet together and just found it was fabulous Uh, both really enjoyed it felt a lot better Um, my mum reversed her pre-diabetes we both lost a lot of weight and um, balance our blood sugars my mum had very arthritic hands but she was finding it very difficult to to be able to bend you know her fingers and was almost um, not able to hold cutlery and so that really improved the osteoarthritis in her hands as well and it, and it was just fabulous so we haven't really looked back since that time and then when I started practicing I had a client come to me who had a condition called lipidema And lymphedema, which is the two of those in combination, is actually called lipolymphedema. And she was already doing a keto diet, but needed some help with it. So she came to me and I hadn't heard of the condition before, because it's not something that's taught in medical schools, or when you're doing a health science degree, no one knows about it. So so I had to do some research, of course, and came upon a, a webinar in the US that was on keto for lymphedema. Which was fabulous. So, uh, talking with the people who were running that, they asked me to do a webinar with them, and uh, and so from there, I started working with this organisation in in the US, which I have been doing over the past few years, specialising in keto keto for women with lipidema. and uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of how, in a nutshell, <laughs> how I came about to huh. to specialising in keto for women with lipidema. And uh, I, now, I now, as I as I mentioned, I'm now focusing on my own business, um, which I'm based in Australia, but it's international. Of course, nowadays, you know, we're all international because <laughs> we deal mm. with, with people online. So yep. predominantly my, my clients are in, in the US and Canada and the UK, um, New Zealand and, of course, Australia. And uh, I love helping women with lipidema because when I was researching for my client, I realized that I have lipidema myself. I had have always had um uh you know excess weight on my bottom half a very small waist uh weight that goes onto the hips thighs and buttocks is traditionally lipodema it's that disproportionate symmetrical fat we call it so it's in that that gynoid fat distribution which is of the lower half of the body as opposed to that android fat deposition which is you know around the tummy and uh, if that that bottom half, it can also affect the arms in quite a significant amount of, of of women. You can have lipidema in the arms as well. And it typically spares the feet. It spares the hands and the feet. But it has other symptoms that I could really identify, which is easy bruising, um, painful fat. It's often described as, as painful fat, which is something that really differentiates it. Not everyone with lipidema experiences pain, but many women do. And for many women, it can be excruciating. So myself, but I, I know that sometimes my partner might grab me on the thigh, and it, it wasn't uh, wasn't grabbing me, um, you know, with any force by any means, but just just the, a slight pressure on my thighs would be painful, and I would sort of yelp out that it that it would hurt, and he'd say, "Oh, don't be silly, you know, I was hardly touching you." I say, "I know, but it just but it hurts, you know." So it, it, that's really sort of quite different. Um, as opposed to obesity, where you don't um, you don't get that um, that that painful fat syndrome, and uh, and that's because there there are these nodules yeah. under the skin, and uh, and there's a lot of inflammation going on. But the pain, they're not exactly sure why that why that comes through, um, whether it's you know extra pressure on nerves um, through the area. Uh, but it's, um, but it's something that keto diet uh, deals very, <laughs> very well with. So, yeah. Okay.
0: So just going back a bit, because, um, you said quite a lot there. Um, when you started out, you, you were doing your, um, nutrition. Health science degree. <laughs> Health science degree. Thank you very much. Um, and you said you were learning about low carb. How did you find out about low carb? Because it probably wasn't through your, Health wasn't through nutrition. You know, wasn't through uni. <laughs> no, science.
2: I um, look, I a lot of people can recount their exact story of coming into it. I, I'm not really that great with with a lot of detail in 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 my life, but I do remember probably the first point of contact was my mum giving me the book. My mum has always been interested in nutrition, giving me the book um, "Sweet Poison" by David Gillespie and mm. so that that was kind of the starting point where we were just like wow this you know this really makes sense and it just kind of went on from there and so then I think you know following look I know um uh, Chef Pete Evans is big in Australia mm. and really led that whole paleo movement Yeah. and you know at uni a lot of people uh really bagged Pete Evans which um, I thought was a shame because I think he gave so much to the community and the fact that he you know now Gives his paleo course for free who people for for people who can't afford perhaps one-on-one coaching or group coaching sessions and um but as soon as it had sort of covered his costs he started giving it away for free which i thought was fabulous but he's influenced so many people and taught them so many great health you know health um ways to 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 make changes that are really beneficial so anyway so i think he was you know he was instrumental in opening our eyes to to a, a lot of um great food ideas and, you know, easy ways to, to make changes. But also, as I mentioned, Gary and Belinda Fetke to me have just been heroes. Um, I, you know, love them both dearly because they've just been fabulous. I mean, they're, they're just gorgeous people um, as well. But, you know, certainly with Gary's experience um, within the medical community and uh, but also, you know, just the research papers that that have been coming out over the years uh, and then being able to, to, you know, you know, obviously all of the books that have been coming out and, 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 um, you know, Dr. Jason Fung and, um, you know, all of the, the various people, uh, um, Virta Health and, you know, this just, it's just been snowballing and snowballing. So really at the time that I came into it, it was just escalating and escalating and it just always made sense to me. So I was, um, you know, it was, it was challenging because you would kind of have to learn things that, that you had to answer in your exams and then try not to commit it to long-term memory and then go and do things your own way. But it was challenging, you know, in, in things like student clinic where we would have, uh, you know, patients come in in a supervised environment and the supervisors would be saying, these people are eating too many eggs, you know, you've got to stop them eating eggs and the cholesterol. And it's just like, oh, my God, you know, Really, like, still, <laughs> this is, yeah. It's, it's just, yeah. It was really, really
0: shocking. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be very challenging to learn one thing but believe something else. And I, I do admire people that do that.
2: Yeah, and, and we had some great supervisors as well. I should be fair and balance that out because you know we we were taught that butter was you know had you know a lot of health properties and and you know vegetable oil is not so great. But it certainly wasn't everyone and it was, you know, few and far between, I think the people that you could get that information, information on. And I think people were really sort of shocked that it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult. It's like cognitive dissonance, as they call it, where you're being told for years by people that, uh, you know, that eating meat frequently is bad, that they teach these flexitarian approach where it's, you know, predominantly eating vegetables and grains and, and throw a little bit of meat in for good measure and a little bit of seafood for good measure, um, it really, and to, you know, to, to be low on salt, I mean, that's a, that's a massive one of, you know, going low, low sodium and, you know, to be told differently is um, really unsettling for people. And I think you can sort of understand as a student you want to be taught something and you need to work within a framework and it can be really super challenging for some people to lose that that clear outline and it 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 makes it can make it very difficult for some people to operate from because you don't have these clear things to just hold on and parrot the information and so you know it is challenging for some people and um but for those of us who you know, are willing to step outside the box and uh you know i think you you reap the benefits because there are just Yeah, so many health benefits, as as we all know. (laughs) Yeah.
1: What's really interesting is, and what resonates is, our mothers, and it was really my mum that gave me the real meal revolution and what the fat books as well. So I don't know what it is about our generation, you know, their mothers sort of, you said about an interest in nutrition. Maybe it is because I mean they've been dieting. The boy has been on a diet for a few years and years. And um, yeah, it's interesting that your mum you know led led you to perhaps you know to think about things differently so and Mm. how's she going now
2: is she still still thriving she's yes absolutely still thriving yeah she's in her late 70s now and uh follows keto mostly um you know either keto or low carb she's she's one of the two and uh yes so she's uh she's doing really well and i think you know thank goodness that we found this particularly where we are now because improving metabolic health, as we know, getting getting um, blood pressure down um, and getting blood sugars down and insulin down and just improving that metabolic health, particularly when you're in your 70s and, you know, it's not never too late to, to be able to improve your metabolic health. Um, yeah, I'm just so thankful now that that's happened, particularly, you know, knowing that those things uh, put you at higher risk um, for the environment that we're in at the moment. To, yeah. Yeah definitely
1: certainly that a um, environment so let's just circle back to, to lipoedema because obviously that is a, you know a real passion and you know you're making such great contributions to the community for raising awareness why isn't it something that we know about
2: well look it's it's really difficult to answer that isn't it and I think because it's a people will argue that it's a disease that affects women that tends to be you know often overlooked I think and not concentrated on perhaps quite as highly I think people think that it's really it's part of the look it's look it's fat you know it's it's all just fat (laughs) and so you're you know you're either overeating or or you're not or you're not moving enough as we know that that old paradigm um so I, i think it's just kind of all labeled and mixed in together it's a it's a disease that's often misdiagnosed as simple obesity and it is also misdiagnosed as lymphedema which is a problem with your lymphatic system and so, which, you know, which causes fluid accumulation. And so it's often misdiagnosed as the two. And although they are common with lymphedema, we, we call it a, a triad really that, you know, lipedema can, can easily escalate into obesity and include obesity. And then often once obesity is included, it can escalate into secondary lymphedema. And you then kind of have that, that, that triad of, of these three conditions uh, and other comorbidities, of course, that can come into that as well. Uh, so there, there is some dispute, you know, whether this really, this condition even exists, even though the literature is there, but because it's not presented from the medical establishments, uh, it's not recognized as an independent disease. So I think for that reason that it's, um, Look, even obesity. Really, they say there are so many different types of it, but it's really just lumped together all as one. You know, just you know, you're you're obese, mm. you're fat. It's it's that simple. Here's the solution, um, which is really quite sad because it's it's not a solution that helps with lipodema. One of the uh, symptoms of lipodema is that it it has fat that is resistant to diet and exercise. So you can imagine how completely frustrating and soul destroying even it is for the women who have this this painful fat accumulation. They're not really believed, I think, often that it's painful or any different to what normal normal fat is, and uh, so that they're often um, yeah not not believed that it's different, and uh, and and so you know it's um, they're told yeah, to to just to keep dieting. So. One of the things women with lipidema are experts in is dieting and they're often not believed that they're doing that, uh, which I find is tragic. I believe anyone that comes to me and tells me this is what they're eating, <laughs> I, um, I take them at their word, word value because I know that's often what is happening that they have dieted so much over the years and calorie restricted, you know, so much over the years that they've actually down regulated their metabolism. As we know, severe calorie restriction doesn't work long term because your body thankfully is smarter than, than wanting to just lose weight and it will recognise that when you've entered a period of, of not getting enough calories to sustain it well, it will upregulate hormones um, to make you hungry and to make you start eating again. So, so that's a real problem then because these women know that they have uh, been told that they have to eat less but their bodies are forcing them to eat more and that's the point where people feel like they're complete failures and don't have any willpower because they're trying to do this diet and uh but their body's driving them to cravings and they think that's willpower and it's it's always such a nice thing to explain to people no that's that's not you failing the diet it's the diet failing you that's the body taking over and driving hunger and taking back control and often it you know, leads to, to rebound weight gain so people end up uh, with more weight than than when they started, so it's a hormonal nightmare, and uh, you know you're 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 risking down regulating your appetite and your your hormone, your thyroid function diminishes and uh, so it's so it's a real problem. um the fat doesn't respond to that, and we know that um that it doesn't res- respond to that because you can um, you can have a really low calorie diet, but you can still be spiking insulin. And insulin is a really key factor here. So we know there are two key factors that, that, um, that we love to address through a ketogenic diet, and that is inflammation and insulin. So I think that's a really major, a major factor here with the misdiagnosis and then a prescription or a treatment that just tells you to eat less and doesn't address the fact that, okay, there's, there's actually um, uh, lymphatic issues here as well. And so women with lipidema do have a different treatment that they require, um, because they often need to have, um, decongestive therapy and they need to do wear compression garments that helps to return the fluid to the, um, to the capillary system, um, to the venous system. And so it's, um, yeah, different treatments there as well. And, um, so as far as what causes lipidema, that's also tricky and perhaps why it's not well known about also. Um, there's no clear etiology of what's actually at play. There's different hypotheses. Um, but we do know that there is a genetic underpinning, uh, but it does seem to run in families. And it mostly affects women, although the more and more people you speak to, I think there is probably more men that it affects than what we realise, but at the moment they say that it's very rare that it affects men um, and it affects men if they have severe hormonal imbalance and problems with oestrogen. So we know there's an oestrogen component because it is typically triggered at times of hormone fluctuations. So that will be times of puberty uh, and times of pregnancy and times of menopause, but can also be triggered by by trauma and uh so things like surgeries and uh and yeah, that that type of thing. So it's um it's a multifactorial condition that uh you know involves the the capillary system, that um you know the, the leaky blood vessels that can actually make the fat cells have more water in them. Um the fat cells grow through hypertrophy, get bigger um than what fat cells normally like to be. That that initiates a an inflammatory cascade um, that causes a lot of inflammation and and that sort of cycle. You know, these fat cells are, are bigger that leads to hypoxia, you know, lack of oxygen, and then there's lack of uh, blood circulation, and then of course there's um, decreased lipolysis, so the inability to release those fat stores. So you know, fat stores can increase exponentially and really quickly and rapidly but don't seem to be able to release release fat. Mm. Mm.
0: So is, do you know, if is it the number of fat cells that increase or is it just the fat in the cells that increases?
2: Well, look, I think, um, you know, depending on what you read, because you'll read some that talk about the hyperplasia, which is that increase in the number of fat cells and the hypertrophy, um, but there are also studies that really talk about the possibility that it's a problem with stem cell differentiation, which is at the basis of what the fat cell actually does when it becomes a mature adipocyte. So um, that's not really well established, um, as with a lot of a lot of details at the moment with lipidema. Mm. Um, yeah, but we do know that the, the cell behaves differently.
0: So if someone suspects that they have it because you've explained that you know, your bottom half is likely to be fatter than your, maybe your waist. You'll you have maybe slim hands, but fatter arms. Um, if somebody says, Oh, that's me and their doctor is not going to know anything about it or they're not, it's not, they're not going to be able to recognize it. How would they go about getting help?
2: Well, look. A really good way is to go to an occupational therapist or a physical therapist who deals with decongestive therapy and and compression and is very well versed in the lymphatic system, but is also usually trained to identify lymphedema. So, um, so that's often a good place to start, and that's often where women are. Um, although these people can't. Officially diagnosed, that has to be done through a doctor. They are able to say, yes, look, this, you know, this, um, appears to be lymphedema, and, uh, and can initiate, um, uh, initiate some, uh, a treatment plan, which, you know, as I described earlier, will include things like wearing compression garments, uh, which is helpful for some women, not necessarily for everyone. Um, and the more advanced the, the condition becomes, if there's different stages with lipedema. Um, and as you progress to different stages, um, you will need, you'll have different requirements and there'll be different issues to deal with. Um, because of course you can imagine that once your limbs start becoming really big and disproportionately so, you can start, um, you can start to have unusual growths on there, like lobules, where are these really big protrusions from the legs? And that can really impact gait. Um, and you can also have fatty lipomas in the legs. I actually have fatty lipomas myself. That, um, you know, one of the things that I love about, uh, well, really any intervention that addresses the the inflammation and the insulin and the things that we know, um, need to be addressed is really about stopping progression. And if you can reverse it, well, fantastic. You know, some people who are at, are at a more advanced, um, stage of it can, you know, if they, if they're able to find what works for their body, that that can progress, you know, back through some stages and we have seen women do that, so we know that that's possible. Um, but really I think the first and foremost thing to start with is stopping progression, um, to preserve mobility and to, to stop mm. fibrosis because, of course, when you have a that, that inflammatory cascade that's going on with around these adipose cells, and this happens with obesity as well, that once these fat cells become, become big, um, it initiates this response that the body can't um, can't fix so it's got this cro- ongoing then chronic inflammatory response because the body's still continually trying to fix this this, um, this issue so you start getting all of these uneven fat cells what we call crown-like structures and in lipedema they tend to be more um, um, uneven or bigger and larger cells than what you find in obesity so Um, yeah so that's something that that you know really needs to 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 be addressed
1: it was really interesting to sort of see that sort of progression of the stages and obviously um on the resource that we'll link in the show notes and you can actually sort of see you know from that low you know to to the sort of really accentuated sort of um, you know, where the, the fat deposits around the hips and then the legs and then obviously, you know, where the rolls are in the arms and that sort of stuff. And it's like, mm. yeah, we do actually see that. Like, you know, I have seen women, as you said, women, women like that, and I can imagine how difficult it is when you are that heavy, you know, morbidly obese, you know, morbidly obese in, in air quotes, how it affects your quality of life, your sense of self, um, your image. As you mentioned, gait is so important, particularly for older women and, you know, the risk of falls, you know, that's the, you know, extra, extra complication there. Yeah. And as you said, it's resistant to dieting. And I'm sure you've had many a client that said, I have, I'm exasperated. I have tried everything, you know, fix me. Yes. Yeah. And really... I can see the, the therapeutic prescription of a low-carb keto diet because it addresses, obviously, the root cause, which is – well, one of the root causes, which is the inflammation. And I, I hope
2: that, you know, your clients have had some success so far. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And when we say – I'd just like to clarify too because a lot of things that say it's resistant to diet, um, I like to tweak that to say it's resistant to standard diet. And, and it's really but... – it's, it's a significant difference because – um, saying it's non-resistant or that it's resistant to diet is really um depressing you know it's 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 a horrible thing to feel like you can do absolutely nothing about this condition because when you see the pictures and just how progressive it can get it's really overwhelming it, the, the pictures actually scare a lot of women because they think my god is that where I'm headed that i'm going to be you know to this point where I'm wheelchair bound and and so I think that's scary for a lot of people but it is um, yeah, so it's resistant to standard diet, but it's, we certainly have had, um, have seen a lot of women who have responded really well to it. I mean, myself included, I, I managed my condition quite well and I, uh, I, I had a cancer diagnosis, a breast cancer diagnosis last year. So I've been going through the, um, <laughs> the typical time when lipidema progresses, which is, uh, menopause, going through, you know, chemically induced menopause, um, surgeries, you know, having a couple of surgeries, including a double mastectomy. And, um, and so, you know, that's the times where you're typically, you know, really getting that, um, result. So I just, I just thank goodness that I have keto, um, as a tool that I can use to help to manage it. And, uh, in late last year, we actually had a research paper, um, published, uh, in the medical, peer-reviewed medical journal, Medical Hypotheses that talked about ketogenic diet as a potential intervention for lipidema. And this is really exciting because there are no research papers out there about keto for lipidema. So this really was the first. Um, so we were very proud to, to get that out there. And it, and it really spoke about, You know, I mean, the highlights from the paper included uh, lipidema adiposity is resistant to weight loss diets, but may respond to ketosis. Mm-hmm. Um, ketogenic diets modulate pain in lipodema independent of weight loss. Uh, ketogenesis positively impacts lymph vessel integrity and lymph transport, and things like that are really key, of course, because you know you hear the the typical well, you know, if you've got a lymph a problem with your lymphatic system. Uh, which is responsible for transporting fats. If you, if you're having trouble with that, they often recommend to have a low fat diet. But actually, we find that, you know, the, the, um, the lymphatic system thrives on fat and saturated fat and it actually, um, deposits fat so that it has an, a ready access to energy. So we know that it, that it loves utilizing fat and, uh, and you don't have to be cutting your diet down really low in fat. Um, to, you know, to, to help the lymphatic system and, uh, and also that the release of beta hydroxybutyrate, which, as we know, is the, the main ketone, um, in the blood reduces inflammation by interrupting exogenous stresses. Mm. So, you know, that's one of the things that, that we love. I wrote the inflammation section in the paper, which talks about beta hydroxybutyrate interrupting that inflammasome pathway. You know, which is incredible mm. so you know we, we've had um we, we've dealt with women who have been about to go on morphine patches for example and they're like okay i really don't want to i don't want to be living my life that way i'm going to give this a try and give keto a try um, and their pain has been reduced really quite quickly so it's not a i mean it's not a miracle cure that I don't you know, like to give the wrong impression that it is a cure <laughs> for lipidema. Mm. But so many women have a fabulous response to pain reduction. You know, that in itself is just such a great thing of suddenly waking up in the morning and being able to get up without pain is, is incredible. Yeah.
1: It sounds like there's a bit of a crossover then with fibromyalgia where you sort of said, you know, that sort of pain response, which we know with um, some of the other People that we've interviewed that have fibro, that you know, that sort of obviously being in ketosis and how the beta-hydroxybutyrate actually modulates the inflammations that you know for those painful conditions, mm-hmm. you know, for chronic pain, osteoarthritis, as you mentioned with your mum, that um, absolutely, but even though you're sort of saying it's not a, it's not the panacea, but it it still is great, you know, I like know, it still but it's pretty
2: amazing. Yeah. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's right, and it's something that can offer. Um, such such pain relief, and you know, I, I mean, even people with migraines, as we know, can really help. Now, it doesn't help everyone, and so what the difference is for some people or not, we don't know, and whether that's in how you execute it, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, there's lots of studies that you know might be able to help us to to ascertain that that type of thing. But you know, some sometimes you know, there's a lot of people that will say, look, keto isn't for me, it doesn't work for me. And um but I will often find that, um, you know, sometimes it can be something like maybe a carnitine deficiency that can actually mean that you're not able to, to mm. utilize fatty acids well. So if you're switching to a diet that's going to start relying on burning fatty acids and you're not able to do that very well, well, you're not going to feel great when you're doing it. Mm. But it's not necessarily that keto isn't working well, but that perhaps it's just that you need some support to help with your mitochondria and your beta oxidation and those sorts of things. Maybe that's something that would help. Um, now I'm not arguing to saying, yes, it's, it's for absolutely everyone because so many people will say it's not for absolutely everyone. Um, but I'm always intrigued to think, gosh, I'd love to know. I'd love to be able to, you know, if you haven't had, had success with it, I'd love to be able to ask a few questions yeah. and, and find out yeah. perhaps a bit more.
1: Yeah, there is mm. the example of my cousin who lost 20 kilos. Um, so that was obviously around about, what, 40, 44, 45 pound. Um, on the first year, she went on holiday on a cruise. Something happened and um, and then over the next couple of months, actually put, put on all that weight. And so we did it sort of just... Remote sort of consultation. You know, we we up fat, we down fat, we up protein, we down protein. You know, we did all these things. And and like you said, it's we know that she had success, and that was perfectly fine in the previous year. But something happened to whatever intrinsically, as you said, you know, maybe there was some gut dysbiosis there that has made whatever it is, you know, in terms of um, you mm-hmm. know, met- metabolizing. Uh, increasing um you know
2: the fat storage so yeah yeah, so that was obviously really perplexing yeah and it's so interesting isn't it and and you do often hear when people do keto the first time it works really well they lose a whole lot of weight and sometimes quite rapidly and not always though because people expect this rapid weight loss it doesn't always work that way and that can often depend on what type of diet you're coming from and all sorts of things what your metabolic health is like um you know what kind of insulin um sensitivity or resistance your cells have like there's so many things that influence the rate at which you will lose weight your thyroid health and and you know all of those sorts of things so it is different for everyone um and i always think it's a shame that people give up because they're not having these miraculous weight loss weight losses that they read about on the internet so um which is a shame because you always Help people sometimes it to, takes longer it does, yes, and and people will still be okay, well, you know my clothes size is smaller, and I notice that the cuffs around my my wrists and ankles are gone, and you know they've noticed all of these things, but the scales aren't budging, so they want to give up and you think, well, you know you can't ignore the actual physical signs that are there telling you that it's working, um as well as your you know pain lessened and improved energy you all, all of those sorts of things, but people are just so transfixed on that scale um which is you know such a poor measure when it comes to when it comes to, to keto you. but for some reason i think once people go off keto and come back to it they seem to have slower a slower response and i actually even find that with some people when they're going through the fat adaptation stage you know that initial sort of you know up to 8 or 10 weeks that, that it can take your body to adjust to metabolizing fats as your body's main energy source rather than glucose um you can be going along really nicely, losing weight. You come out of keto for a couple of days and then go back in and it all is different, even though you go back to doing it the same way. It somehow loses a bit of momentum. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting how, how it can be different for everyone and even different for the same person depending on, on how they're, they're executing it. But there are just so many reasons, I think, why it, um, yeah, it can be different for, for different people. Um, different people but as, as we said somehow it's just how people are measuring success I'd hate to think of the number of women who have given up because the scales aren't telling them what they need to see yeah. because you know when you calorie restrict the scales are very obedient you're either it's either working or it's not depending on what the scales say and uh, with keto it just doesn't work that way so if you're using that as your measure of success uh you could be you know you could be really um giving a good thing up without realizing that actually you're in a much better health position mm. yeah and i
0: think sometimes people don't don't know the health it's not something tangible that you can say ah yes that's better because some people do have lots of things you know my hip doesn't hurt anymore i can sleep better at night all those things are tangible but some people There's things working underneath that they don't know about and then they just give up and then they've lost that benefit that they're starting to bring their health back into a place of Mm well-being and then maybe the weight would come off, but they just don't stick it out because
2: they haven't got anything tangible to to recognise. Absolutely, yeah. And we often talk about health like the peeled onion because it happens layer by layer and each layer of ill health that you get, it kind of covers up symptoms, or we reestablish our norm, we reset a new norm, and we kind of learn to to push aside the symptoms that we've got, and and kind of just learn to live with them. You almost forget that you've got them, and then it progresses onto something else. so You get a whole new set of symptoms, and so sometimes when you're improving your health, it can actually kind of then go back the other way. That you, instead of putting all of these layers on, you're taking all of the layers back off again. And so sometimes you can actually go through and experience new symptoms thinking that this isn't working because I'm getting all of these symptoms. But sometimes that can also be a sign of just going back through um, the different, uh, you know, um, uh, dysregulation that you've had in the first place and re-experiencing symptoms that have, have kind of been... Buried for a while perhaps in a a way or that there's been louder symptoms ringing out that you've forgotten you've had these other ones Mm. so it can be really complex sometimes and and as we know the longer you have health issues and particularly once you start um, having polypharmacy involved where you have a lot of medications in there covering up symptoms but creating new ones and uh, it, it can be really complex and the more comorbidities that are at play Um, It can be so difficult to know what's going on and um, particularly then, you know, throw in a few food intolerances because your gut health is compromised uh, for various reasons, um, you know, including, uh, I mean, for me now, helping people to deal with stress is such a big part of, of, um, of helping them to wellness that it's equally as important as the food. The food is an important part in getting into ketosis, but if you're doing that and you're not doing anything to actively uh, manage the stress, um, you know that that's that can be um, that can really hold you back from making progress as well.
1: And there's nothing more stressful than a pandemic, is there? And I, I can imagine, you know, layered upon layer that obviously with lockdowns as we've had in Australia and managing obviously the pandemic, that that would obviously exacerbate anxieties and cortisols, adrenaline, and you know, whenever in the presence of cortisol and adrenaline, you know, obviously that the the want to eat comfort food in order to manage to manage stress. That must be an absolutely as you said an additional layer to the yeah. to the complexity of the
2: problems. Yes, yeah. and yeah, throwing out your whole circadian rhythm with those things. But as we know, stress can drive insulin resistance of itself, and you know, and it drives your blood sugar dysregulation and it drives cravings because your body wants this quick energy source. And, um, yeah, it does, it wreaks havoc. But interestingly, uh, I mean, I have helped a lot of women and we were talking earlier about, you know, success with keto and I have, um, you know, have quite a few clients that have lost hundreds, um, of pounds, um, you know, up into the, the 250 odd pounds, um, which obviously makes an incredible difference to, to lifestyle. And, uh, and so that's, um, yeah, I think when you're, Looking to, uh, I mean, yeah, the, the, the results are there, um, that, that are really helpful. But I, I think, um, I forgot where I was going with that, uh, something we were talking about before. Oh, yes. Sorry. Because it was the pandemic because, um, you would, that, you know, yes, some people have got the news going all day, which is really stressful. And, and, you know, nothing good comes from watching the news all day. It doesn't teach you really anything new. It just keeps that stress response going. But I've also found that a lot of people have had a lot of success during the pandemic, that some people, yes, put on more weight because they're, they're, you know, the emotional eating and, and they're, um, you know, stuck at home and, and food is the, food is the, um, the absolute instant gratification. Um, that's, you know, you can, you can provide yourself instant gratification any time of the day because it's socially acceptable to be eating at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and, you know, you can do that all day, every day and it's socially acceptable. So, but for some people, the the pandemic has been a fantastic opportunity to take themselves out of the normal obesogenic environment that that we're living in, with food on every corner of every street and the smells and everything that goes with that. Um, and the you know the for, for for those people who are emotional eaters or binge eaters or um, you know, having problems, and, and not everyone with lipedema. Or or even obesity is necessarily always eating junk food or, you know, you can't just generalize like, like that either. So I'm certainly not meaning to do that. But, but, um, not having the access to that constantly and, and interrupting your normal routines. Wow. What a fabulous time to take control of your health. Change having to change your routines anyway. And so to do it in a way that you can implement some good ones and to be out of the normal um peer pressures and just uh, and work pressures working from home Um, such a great time and so I, I have quite a lot of clients that have really benefited from being able to be more isolated and, and to take control of their health
0: yeah and I think okay. some
2: people have been
0: saying because they're not going out for dinner it's you know they wouldn't be going to restaurants it's so much easier and now here in the UK we're starting to open up and I see some of my clients that are starting to go out and now there's things creeping in that weren't there before when we were locked down.
2: Yes so it says it's such a good time to try to yeah, to try to take control of those things now and, and establish new routines and of course I always find that you know I think some of the reason I have a lot of success with people is because it is about helping people find foods they love. You know, not shaming them about food or um, you know, embracing that we all have moments of food. We all have weaknesses with food. No one's, I think, um, no one's perfect with their food. Even as a nutritionist, I think people feel like they have to paint this picture that they're having a perfect diet. And that's not what I want to see at all. I want to see what the, what the cravings are and, and what, what do you have in your moment of weakness? Because it paints a picture of what, what's, you know, what are your hormones driving you to do? Mm. And that's where it's coming from. Not about judging the choices you're making. It's about understanding your body and what's driving your body to certain foods, Mm. which then, which then helps you to, you know, to, to change that story into something that, um, kind of, Fits in with the picture of what your body needs and and the rhythms that it has, but to do it in ways that um, that, that you know are incorporating foods that people can love and um, and incorporate their their skill levels, their cooking levels, their um, their family, you know what what influences they have around them. There are, there are just so many things that that influence how someone changes their diet that it you, know, you have to you have to. Uh, individualise it and, and recognise them as a person, what do they love and what's going to get them through. You know, some people don't really have much of a sweet tooth um, and, of course, think they're not eating much sugar and, as we know, all carbohydrates are broken down to sugars. So I separate them into are you a savoury sugar person or are you a sweet sugar person? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, a lot of women are the savoury sugars. They, either, they It's either bread or it's rice or it's or it's fruit, or um, well, that's the sweet the sweet sugars um, but you know one of those is is usually the problem there'll be some that they'll be anchored to one of those foods that, that i always call their security blanket <laughs> we all have a bit of a hmm. security blanket that we fall back to um when we need it so helping you know, people to change those with um with things that they can you know um really learn to to love is key
1: It was interesting because um, where you were sort of saying about obviously being in lockdown and and restrictions was a really great opportunity. And I remember seeing a post about, yeah, the two types. You know, you can go two ways, two paths. There's a fork in the road that you could either double down or you throw the toys out the cot. And, you know, and, and as you said, you know, by doubling down and you've removed obviously all the noise and the distraction and, you know... Whereas when I was actually commuting to the office, you know, I had this very long commute, so it was very stressful. So my commute now is from the bedroom to the study. So um, there's no excuse to obviously, you know, to do that. But equally so, I can see how, you know, the, the restrictions obviously, you know, well, why bother? You know, why do that? And you know, why you know just throw the throw the toys, the metaphorical toys, out the cot mm. and just go hell for leather and self Sue through, as you said, you know, the savoury sugars or the sweet sugars, so you can sort of see how that emotional response. My point is, you know, either similarly knowing yourself as you do, um, like Jackie's a moderator, she can moderate, you know, that sort of stuff. But I'm an abstainer because mm. once that that loophole is there, I'm going to drive that mat truck through that Mm -hmm. and I'm going to eat those whole Tim Tam packets. You know, there's 11 biscuits in there and I can't stop at one. That's penguins for the, um, you know, for the UK listeners. So (laughs) it's sort of like, yeah. You know, the the stresses we we can't avoid them, but it's just managing all those inputs and how we negotiate that, and how we, as you said, that prescription, that individualized, customized approach, Mm. and taking into account um, cultures, ethnicities, you know, those food values. Because one of the biggest things when I put on a lot of weight was I didn't want my son's dinner going to waste, you know. And I would eat, you know, not that I would live through the war, but my mother and my grandparent, my grandmother did. So, mm. you know, throwing food out is a waste as well. So, um, yeah, as you said, it was a bit Shrek, you know, the the onion. Let's peel those layers of. Um, of disease as well as behaviour and values. It's yes, absolutely. All a little bit complicated.
2: And, and look, for some people too, some people have never really been taught resilience, or have never been taught about delayed gratification. And so, food is such an food is such a simplistic answer to pretty much everything, isn't it? We can celebrate with it. We can we can be sad. Or we can be mad, or we can procrastinate. We can do just about anything, and use food to get us through it. It's become such an easy thing to use. And like I was saying before, it's socially acceptable. You can do it any time of the day. It doesn't have those types of restrictions that alcohol does or, you know, but we know that the patterns are all fairly similar and it's about giving yourself that instant gratification. Um, And so for some people it's about learning about resilience and building a part of themselves that they've never needed to develop before because they have not explored those types of things before. Um, and so, you're yeah, learning about delayed uh, gratification and and those sorts of things, which I always talk to people about being solution focused, and that's a big part of you yeah, know absolutely. we're talking about in the pandemic. You can think about the things that we don't have and the liberties that have been taken away, and you can focus on the, the scaremongering and the, the fear factors and all the negatives. Because sure, there's plenty of negatives. If you want to if you want to focus on negatives, well, you've got a whole lot there that you can work with. Um, but it doesn't get you anywhere. It's not helpful and it doesn't progress life or keep life interesting or stress-free. And certainly one of the things that you learn when you go through a cancer diagnosis is to um, that you really have to learn to, to de-stress and you, you need to be solution-focused. Otherwise, you stay in your rut. And so if you're happy in your rut, well, fine. You know, Some people are happy in that rut and that's okay. But if you're not happy in it, you need to be able to become solution focused. You need to be able to identify what are the areas in your life that are causing you stress or unhappiness. And then you need to say, okay, um, I've identified it. I'm not going to wallow in it. I need to, I need to find someone who's going to help me put together a strategy to get out of that. And, and some people just have never been taught that. So you can't expect someone to suddenly be able to strategize and be solution focused. Yeah, that's never been something that's been in their life before. Mm.
1: I think that you're really picking up on, you know, that hope, you know, where can we give you hope and where are those tools to sort of, you know, be mindful to to give you the hope that you can actually make those changes as well. And that obviously, you know, is part of what um Jen Unwen, you know, does about that sort of solution focused um approach as well. So um, just picking up on your, your cancer treatment, so where are you now with the actual sort of, you know, clearances, you know, post, um, you said you've mastectomy, so where are you now
2: in, in your treatment regime? Yeah, so I had a double mastectomy that's just on six months ago now, so they sort of say that your main healing period is about six months. Uh, it takes you know, a while for the body to heal, obviously. It's fairly major surgery. Uh, so I've been given the all-clear and, uh, and now I just have, have regular checks. And, uh, you know, I feel like, yeah, I'm in a good place, in a good place right now. I, I had to make some, um, some big changes because I, I've always thrived on, well, I've always had a lot of stress in my life. And, um, I never realized really how much I, I had to, I had to acknowledge when I finished my health science degree and fell in a heap. Um, I, I was always handling everything I thought so well. So I didn't realise I was so stressed, but actually I realised I had been running on adrenaline for years. <laughs> I was so stressed that I was flying through on adrenaline. And suddenly you take that away and, and you tend to, to crash and, and realise that actually you are really stressed out and, and burnt out. Yeah. And um, so that's taken me a long time to heal. And it's, you know, even though I, I kind of keep saying, yeah, I need to de-stress. I still had a lot of stuff that was stressing me in my life, and I still had things that I hadn't really fixed or changed and and so I've had to really say okay i've i've now I've got to start making some changes and I've mentioned to Jackie earlier that you know one of those things was wanting to get to bed earlier over night time. I talked to so many women about um getting to bed early. Because a lot of people are falling asleep on the couch, they're missing, they're either missing or sleeping through that first wave of tiredness of an evening, and then they're wired again for a few hours, and they're heading to bed, you know, at all hours of the morning, and that's that's a really common thing for women with narcolepsy. And um, so yeah, just even fixing stresses like that where I now try to go to bed early and um, and yeah, so making significant changes in my own life and not just focusing on the people I help to actually do a bit of self-care's <laughs> been a big part of that.
1: I actually saw a, a webinar by a good friend Christina Oman and she does emotional emotional eating. And one of the things, the character profiles was, busyness so when you are that busy person and basically that's obviously avoidance so you bury yourself in work and you bury yourself in study as a mature age student and um you you know not overcommit, but you busy yourself as a way to avoid obviously acknowledging other stuff but that has consequences. As you said, you know, you're running on adrenaline and cortisol and when you take that away, you finished your degree and then you obviously had that adrenal fatigue because you'd been running on stress.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, being being busily avoiding stress but creates more stress is a yeah. really –
2: yeah, it's it's so true, and, and a lot of people do do it. I think that you're either going a hundred miles or an hour, an hour, or you're just stopping dead in your tracks. There's kind of no in between. So I've really had to develop that mm. in betweenness. <laughs> that uh, and yeah. and it's such a nice place to be. You know, I was doing uh, a, a lot of work um overseas as well as as well as my own business, and it was it was just it wasn't allowing me. I hadn't really had a break between finishing my studies and, and doing. That, that had, I didn't really get that wind down time. And I, that was something that I've really noticed since I've stopped um, my the, the work that I was doing with an organization in America, that I have really been able to just focus on myself and winding down and um, doing all of those things that I have really needed to do for a, for a long time. But you just can't put it off. Once you hit cancer, it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, you can put that stuff off for oh. years, but now I just can't afford to do that. But it's also learning how to say
1: absolutely. But it's also learning how to say no. And I think you know maybe as a personality, sort of you know profile or a trait where, um, and we've talked about the Gretchen Rubin sort of you know um, personality, how you respond to expectations. And I'm an obliger. Of course, I'm going to say yes. You know, yes, yes, yes. And I have great difficulty saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes but but what i've learned to say is yes but let me i probably can do that in about six months so i'm still (laughs) sort of you know trying to hedge my bets i just wanted to circle back there was one little thing about um, when you're a mature age student and you were really busy because um i was just wondering how much procrastinating you did so (laughs) while you were studying and um how much um you know loving food as you did so how much cooking you did while you were meant to be doing your assignments so Mm,
2: well, I, it's, it's funny because we would go back when assignments with due and the, the lecturers would say, how clean is everyone's house right now? Like you can find the most, you know, so many jobs that you would never normally <laughs> want to touch and you would leave, but suddenly anything was more appealing than having to just sit down and commit to that. That last thing you know, until the deadline was really, Enough. I'm definitely a deadlines person. I love working to deadlines. Too. So yeah, so that, that was a, that was a big part of it. Um, for sure. So, so what does your daily eating look like well i like to um you know um probably eat later as a lot of us do with, with keto that um i definitely like to some mornings i, I get hungry earlier than, than other days so i like to obviously really listen to my body that's a that, that's a huge part i think of successful eating is eat when you're hungry <laughs> stop when you're full that we know is um, important with keto so uh, so if I eat somewhere, I guess, usually between, say, 10 and 1 o'clock, um, I um, love lots of eggs. You know, eggs are so important for the choline that they provide. It's, it's such a great source for that and one of the best sources for it. So I um, will have a, a, a few eggs. Um, I love goat's cheese, and I love using rocket. You know, I, I love to have leafy greens in there because I like the folate. Um, I do have NTHFR um genetic variations which means that i i really need to up the level of folate that i'm getting and really make sure that i'm not exposing myself to folic acid which is the, the uh, synthetic form of it so i love using rocket because to me that's the it's really low in oxalates it's it's kind of the equivalent It's the low plant chemical equivalent of spinach <laughs> and you use it very similarly so i'll just tear that up into a scrambled egg mixture with plenty of salt and um sometimes I, I might put some cheddar cheese in the pan and make a, a crispy sort of omelette um and other times i might just put a bit of goat's cheese so i'm not always having that cow's dairy and uh and um you know some some smashed avocado with, with lots of salt uh maybe some homegrown tomatoes and uh and sometimes bacon so we used to eat bacon a lot more regularly now i just i try to just just kind of have it as a um it's something to look forward to maybe you know, a couple of times a week uh that that just depends too on on mood of course and and mm-hmm. weather i suppose uh so that's that's usually how i i start my day sometimes i love to have like a, a ricotta pancake you know the diet dr ricotta pancake with some psyllium husk um and with butter and vegemite uh, that's the Aussie <laughs> in me. when i feel the need for, for butter and vegemite on something i'll go to a, a ricotta pancake <laughs> and uh yeah so and then you know dinners are just really simple at the moment it's a lot of slow cooker food because mm-hmm. we're in winter um slow cooking is fabulous because you're getting you know a lot of glycine from your food that you know sometimes if you're not slow cooking meat or you're not having um bone broth and and those types of mm-hmm. things that you need to be supplementing maybe with collagen but we like to include a lot of slow cooked meats meat on the bone and and you know. Four quarter chops that we'll do in the slow cooker. So I I love the slow cooker. I have much more energy in the morning. I'm, I'm a morning person, uh, and I start work very early because I, um, you know, because I've got international clients over winter, the time zone difference is, um, is not in my favor. So I'm often seeing clients at six o'clock in the morning, sometimes earlier. So if I can put a slow cooker on, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning and then just have that ready for, For dinner i think it's fabulous So i love the slow cookers fill it with loads of cabbage you know cabbage is those cruciferous vegetables are so great for our methylation pathway our detoxification pathways um in the liver and and lots of those sorts of things so i love having um yeah lots of cabbage and cauliflower and uh, onions and garlic of course to help feed our microbiome which is important Mm. for a lot of things um, so yeah, we just tend to, sometimes it'll be uh, chicken wings. Um, I love doing chicken wings in the oven that I only discovered that a couple of years ago and it's now one of my go-tos. Um, if I can get really good quality chicken, because to just throw some chicken wings on some baking paper, cover it in garlic salt and throw it in the oven, you don't get much, much easier than that <laughs> as far as cooking goes. And then just do a, a veggie stir fry on the side with loads of garlic. Um, but I also love to do things like, you know, I love pizza, so I actually do a, a, a minced meat pizza, so mm-hmm. I'll use a minced chicken meat or a minced meat and um, mix some parmesan cheese through it perhaps and some mixed herbs and then put pizza toppings on top, so we have that regularly, I, I love that. Because they're just classic great flavors, aren't they? It just works.
1: I was surprised how filling that is because, I'm um, obviously you know from the fat head, obviously the almond meal sort of pizza, which is nice. It's nice and crispy. When I made the pizza, um, with the with the chicken mince, I couldn't believe how filling that was. And it was just like I, I realize now how you know obviously the base being the chicken mince and then putting the meat toppings on it. It was just like. Wow, that was so like so filling. I was absolutely amazed yeah. by that. Just yeah, a, a and that's the important thing. Uh,
2: oh, yeah, go. Sorry.
1: Ahead. Um, just a quick question about fasting. So, um, you know, you mentioned obviously about time restricted eating. So, starting after after ten or, or one o'clock. Um, do you do any sort of intermittent other intermittent or extended fasting as well incorporated in your in your meal eating way of eating?
2: Yeah. I do. Um, one of the things I, I like to point out to people too is that if you have had stomach surgery, intermittent fasting doesn't always work. And particularly if you're starting with, with all of this, I think a lot of people are coming to me saying, okay, I, I want to do keto. I'm starting intermittent fasting and they're doing it all at once. <laughs> I don't think mm. that's a great idea. I always, you know, you start with keto first and build up to intermittent fasting. If you've had stomach surgery, um, going without food, can be difficult because you're already not able to have a lot of food and in small amounts. And, um, yeah, so I think you need to be careful there as well. But I do, I mean, I love my food, so I don't really want to go without without food for that long. That's, <laughs> that's basically the problem. That's line. my issue. <laughs> and, uh, but I do really love to do, um, sometimes I'll have a, a big lunch and, and that night I'll just think, you know what, I'm... I, I'm just really not not hungry. Like I, I am just I could actually say I am still full. Why go and have another meal now? It's just such a habit and you really look forward to it because it's such a pleasurable thing to do. And but I do try to now recognise that and say, you know what, I'm not hungry now. I'll go through to tomorrow and this can be my twenty four hour day. Um, you know, too. So I like to do a twenty four hour fast every now and then. You don't actually go a whole day without food and I think it is good for the body to, you know, we we're always just pushing so much food through our bodies because our minds want them. But I think that, you know, giving our bodies a break True. from having so much food is a good thing. Um as far as the longer fasts, I, I don't really haven't really felt a need to do that except for when and I get that autophagy, you know, that sort of recycling of cellular debris can be a, a really positive thing. So I think if you have some health issues, doing that with some guidance, um can be a, a positive thing. I used extended fasting when I was going through chemotherapy uh, because there are studies that show that when you uh, when you fast for between three and five days. I took the three day option. <laughs> the studies show that 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 gives the benefit. So I'm like, well, why would I go five days without food? That that to me is. Um, but some people enjoy that and get something from it. And I think we're all built and wired differently. Some people actually find that's really beneficial and they feel great doing it. So that's terrific. For me, it doesn't really—I uh, I don't particularly need that. Um, but through chemo, I thought it was absolutely fabulous uh, because you know, whilst you're sitting there getting this poison pumped into your body, taking steroids to to stop the nausea, yet they're carting—they're they're putting a wheel cart around that's full of white bread sandwiches and cakes um, and juices. You know, so pumping you full of glucose that cancer thrives on uh, just does not make sense. And why would you put all of this food into your body that your body is about to reject anyway? Um, so I, uh, I I, um, I think, got through chemotherapy really nicely. Um, and I was so thankful that after the chemo and going home that night thinking, oh, my God, thank God I do not have food in my system right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it was it was such a, a good feeling. So. Um, and I really felt like that was helping me to actively participate. Like there was something that I could do to help, you know, that I wasn't just this bystander where the medical community was doing all kinds of things to me and I had no control over that. I really felt like I was contributing significantly, um, and in an important way as an adjunct therapy to, um, to chemotherapy because the, you know, when you're, when you're doing those fasts, you're kind of depriving those cancer cells of its, abundant fuel source not completely obviously but um you know it's said to help to 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 prime those cancer cells for the chemotherapy whilst also also improving um the or you know protecting the healthy cells so i um i I didn't have steroid medications that that they give you typically through chemo um until the last session i felt like you know in the last session or the third session my lipidema, the lipidema at the back of my legs was actually inflamed. I had sore legs after chemo or from chemo. So I, um, so I did the steroid therapy then. Um, but yeah, I got to cut down my meds and, uh, I had, I, I threw up once throughout the whole chemotherapy, uh, thing. And yeah, so it, to me was, was really, really mm. beneficial.
1: Sounds like you aced, aced it, you know, typical, you know, yeah in typical fashion, <laughs> you know, But if you're going to do something, you're going to do it well. So I, I think you're right. Yeah. Like, you know, the fasting, I had heard that, you know, in terms of that cancer treatment, it, it gives you that extra, as you said, the priming for – um for that and particularly traumatic you know it's a traumatic experience with all those the the toxins that they're giving you but um what an ace to
2: have up your sleeve well done to you i know yeah thank you and but even you know some i mean people have can have severe bouts of diarrhea and and things like that and, and and fasting can help with that and really lessen that so there are lots of benefits so if that's something that any of the listeners are about to go through it is definitely worth um, worth considering, and there's actually there's a book released by a Canadian dietitian, and uh, and it's called um, "Hacking Chemo," and I would highly recommend that uh, for anyone who's about to go through that process. Um, that talks about you know keto and the ways that that can help, and it's really well researched. Mm, I haven't heard of that one. Mm. So.
0: <laughs> Megan, before we come to the end. Can you tell people where they can find you online and contact you if they need to?
2: Yes, sure. So my business is called I Choose Health. So you can find my website is ichoosehealth.com.au. Uh, that's probably the best way to get in contact with me. And that has information there on some upcoming keto courses that I have starting in December. There's a keto nutrition course for women with lymphedema and one just for, for keto in general uh, and some other you know, workshops and things like that I can do. So it's it's all on the website. So go along and, and have a look there. Uh, any social media that you would like people to follow you on uh yes i think uh well the, through the website you can get to the social media accounts. i am on twitter i think my tag there is at makes um and uh instagram is i choose health megan pfeffer as is facebook i choose health megan pfeffer great thank you
0: so we always finish off by asking uh, for three top tips and that could be around keto. It could be for starters. It could be for people that are well into it, but or maybe for people who have lipoedema.
2: Yes. Well, the first, um, the first one I would say is uh, is actually my motto, which is eat food that loves you back. I think this is really key because we're often told, you know, well, we're bombarded with information nowadays, and um, and certainly with health information. Uh, but it's always very generalized information and what is a health food to one person isn't necessarily a health food, you know, to another. Um, classic examples of that can be um dairy proteins for example or you know things like the nightshade family which is tomatoes and, and capsicums and uh, sometimes foods like that can cause inflammation for people so even you know i think people expect that you go keto and these whole foods are going to um to miraculously heal them and make them feel better but if you have a lot of gut issues at play you know some of those foods can can really actually aggravate conditions and make things worse so if your symptoms are getting worse while you're making dietary changes i think it's you know perhaps a good place to start to have a look at food intolerances um because the key with keto is is finding foods that 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 love you back as we say you can love plenty of foods um but are they actually helping how you're feeling Uh, and that's that's Mm. really key um the second one is that I would you know, really encourage people to explore the bi- their bio-individuality. And that kind of links into that first one. But really, we are all so different. Um, but also different foods, for example, can spike insulin. Uh, we're all very individual there. So, you know, for example, tomatoes can be a classic one that can shoot people's insulin levels really high and their blood sugar levels. So not many people would think that a tomato would have that ability to do that. So if you're having, a, you know, one large tomato every day with lunch um, plus maybe a few other carbs that are there or even just the tomato on its own, um, tomato and eggplant is a big one that I know that a lot of people will have a, a problem with, um, then that's going to, to be an issue. But that bio-individuality we talk about a lot with lipedema, especially because... And this was the basis of our our hypothesis paper that a, a modified keto diet really uh, we think that um, a lot of people require because there seems to be a, um, a hypersensitivity to insulin. So women with lipedema are very readily able to to increase their fat storage. Um, so we we believe that they need to get their insulin levels down, probably even more so than the average person doing keto to encourage lipolysis, which is, you know, the breakdown of the fats from the fat cells. So that's where the bioindividuality becomes really important that um, you know, some people aren't even sure if they're in ketosis, they're not measuring it, and some people who are maybe need to go lower uh, before mm. they're able to release fat stores. So you really need to know what your body's doing and how it's reacting to to, to really be able to optimise, you know, um, you know keto for... For you um, and then the third one I, I would say is to self-advocate and this is a I think a really important one in times where we have all of this terrific information but sometimes our health care providers aren't on top of that and that can be really challenging um, and often women can be easily discounted um, or you know and, and that that's a real problem because it, it can be very intimidating to speak up to health professionals uh, or where we feel like we have to be loyal to a health professional because we've been seeing them for 20 or 30 years. But if someone's, you know, if someone's not hearing you or listening to you or working with you, if it's not a mutual relationship, then I think, um, you know, you need to, to be able to have the confidence to talk to other people, to find that person that, that listens to you and hears you and works with you and doesn't shame you. Uh, particularly, you know, for people with weight issues, that fat shaming is really prevalent. And, uh, yeah, so I think just feeling, having the confidence to, to feel okay about saying, well, look, here's some information, you know, can we talk about it? If they're not willing to talk about that, then I would say find someone else who is. Um, it's going to make a big difference to the life moving forward. Yeah. And,
0: but do you find, that i mean i think in america it might be easier where you can choose your health professional but how did you find that in australia and maybe even in the uk where your doctor is your doctor and in my surgery there's hundreds not hundreds but tens of um doctors so i could always go and see a different one but if somebody's in a surgery where they've only got one or two doctors how do they go about that
2: well, then I think sometimes you can try to find, like we were saying, if women, if their doctors aren't listening to them about lymphedema, then you find perhaps a different type of health professional that can help to guide you, and that might be an occupational therapist, for example, or it might be a clinical nutritionist, someone like me who is also able to order blood tests for people. Um, The only difference being is that it's not covered by Medicare, um, so it's out of pocket, although there are some health funds that, that can be covered. Um, but it, it, um, there are other types of health professionals that can, that can help you. And, and there are some things that you need doctors for, but that they're not the only health professional that can help you. And in fact, if you're wanting to address your health holistically and look outside the box a little, um, then sometimes that is what you need to do, whether you go and see a naturopath or a naturopathic doctor. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't still see your doctor. It just means that you have someone else in the mix complementing that. And, you know, quite often people will have an endocrinologist and a cardiologist and a, a, a their medical doctor and an occupational therapist. The people that I often deal with have a big team of medical people around them because they often have so many comorbidities. Yeah. So you can add people into that mix, and I think it's actually really nice to have a variety of people in that mix because different people are great, they're good for addressing different things. And you could put 10 health professionals in a room and present your case to them and you will get very different responses from them all. There is no stock standard answer for how to deal with your health. So finding people along the way, if you're lucky enough to be able to explore that. um, Yeah is, yeah, I think a really great thing to do.
1: And it certainly is more like a case management sort of, a, you know, a process, you know, something where you can be, you're the advocate, as you said, and I'm managing in a case management sort of way. So I'm going to take a little bit from the endocrinologist, I'm going to take a little bit from the, the OT, the physio, the clinical nutritionist, and I'm going to manage myself in, in taking the best of everything in, in that approach. It's just hard when, you know, number one, Jackie's sort of trying to maybe allude to is it's hard to know who to go to and it is a little bit of a, a trial and error you know I'm going to have to try this and try this approach but um, yeah it just would be nice if there was a one-stop shop where I can just go and and um, you know have this sort of you know type of approach but in a in a GP clinic you know sometimes we do we might be lucky enough to have that in a in a clinic approach where we can actually have access to those allied health professionals, not necessarily the specialists um, here in Australia because they're a specialist consultant and they're remote perhaps from the GP, but um, in some Mm. super clinic um, type approaches, we will have access to those allied health professionals in a a practice-based approach. So... Megan, it's been absolutely wonderful um, to to hear your journey and um, we're wishing you all the best with your, you know, you've moved past that recovery phase, um, so after your six-month anniversary, so onwards and upwards for that, as well as your um, with your practice and your clients and wishing, you know, that sort of promotion and advocacy that you're giving the, the Lipidema community is absolutely wonderful. And I just said to Jackie off air that we would love to have you back, you know, you know, in a few months' time, just to sort of check in and see how you're going, if you would be available to come back on the show. It'd be lovely to to catch up and maybe have a one-year anniversary with
2: you. Yeah, thank you so much. That that would be terrific, and it's been really lovely to, to speak with you both. Thank you, thank you. Thanks. See you.
0: I know that Megan was talking a lot about lipedema, and that is a really important. Uh, aspect that, that she covered. But one of the things that when I think about what she said that I really loved was the fact that we have savory sugar and sweet sugar. And I now use that all the time when I'm talking to people about sugar, because we tend to think of sugar as being sweet, but there are so many different things, you know, that are savory that actually break down into sugar. I think that's, really important to remember
1: and in speaking with me the thing that really resonated with me was obviously we shared our ones our ones being our mum and how our mum got us started on this particular journey so it was really interesting how that point of difference was really for her journey and my journey were the same
0: yeah it's you know it's usually us trying to influence our parents to do it it's it's not as usual for mums to influence their children which is interesting and credit to you both for for listening and trying it out
1: well i suppose it's it's it was a start really wasn't it it was just that one time that one time in my life that made a difference anyway still love you mum the thing that I'm really inspired by, by Megan is the fact that she's bringing to light this particular condition. And as she said, it is under-recognized, under-diagnosed, or even misdiagnosed for other things. That Can you imagine if you were living with a person living with lipoedema, going to your doctor and hearing those same messages of eat less, move more, but knowing that the fat and the way that it's hormonally, you know, such a nightmare, as she said, it doesn't respond that way, that this particular tissue is resistant to diet and exercise. The shame or the guilt, you know, the fear of, you know, getting help must be obviously quite traumatic for, for the people living with libidoemia. Mm.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's so, such a serious condition. In the sense that it can be, it can affect a quality of life. It's not just being overweight, lots lots of people end up in wheelchairs and unable to walk because it's so painful.
1: Yeah. And as you said, that fat is actually sore to touch. So I think that that's all credit to Megan for bringing to light, advocating, and supporting people living with, with lipoedema. So thank you, Megan. Where can we get the show notes, Jackie?
0: The show notes can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcasts forward slash zero five seven. Thanks, Jackie. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you
1: wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation.
0: Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes.
1: If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners.